Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Curveball. I'm your host, Curveball, and today I am joined by Kim Addis. She is the founder of the Frame of Mind Coaching. She is a personal development and executive coach, as well as a super mom of five. Kim, thank you for joining me today. I'm thrilled to be here, and I love that you called me a super mom. I've never heard that before, but I'll take it. Absolutely. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I live in Toronto, Canada, and I run a coaching company called Frame of Mind Coaching. I've been doing this for 16 years, and I have a team of coaches in Canada and the United States, and we coach a very particular kind of person. Uh, We coach people who are highly, highly driven, people who have very big goals that they want to reach, people who want to make an incredible difference in the world and leave the world a better place than when they got here. People who want the best out of life, they want great relationships, they want to generate great revenue, they want to travel, they want to do all the wonderful things that life has to offer. And they're very frustrated because they are not yet where they want to be. And they do not understand what's taking so long, what's slowing them down, what's getting in their way, and why things have to be so hard. Those are the people I coach. Speaking of goals, what stops talent and driven people from achieving their goals? Well, uh, you know, some people think that people are stuck because they don't have experience or they don't have the expertise or they don't have the education or background. But throughout my career, I've discovered that none of that is all that important. And the one thing that gets in the way for people for reaching their goals is that the way they think often contradicts the goals that they want to achieve. So they have uh, a goal, let's say, but their beliefs, their perspectives, their thoughts about themselves and the goal itself are often in complete opposition to the goal that they have, that they want to achieve. And this applies to everything. So I'll give you a couple of examples. If let's say I have a goal that I want to lose weight, It's a good one because a lot of people can relate to it. But I also feel that if it's my birthday, I should be able to eat cake. Those two ideas don't really go together. And we find that a lot of people have contradictory ideas when it comes to goal achievement. They have a belief or a set of beliefs that don't make it easy for them to reach their goals. That's what really gets in the way of people's performance the way they think and what they believe to be true. What is your definition of emotional resilience and how can leaders leverage that? So what is emotional resilience? Emotional resilience is a person's ability to bounce back from adversity with speed and agility. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. So if I have a challenge in my life, as all of us do, because that's what it's like to be human, we get knocked down. A person with a high degree of emotional resilience gets up faster. 
But not only do they get up faster, they find a way to leverage the adversity somehow. So to turn their negative experience into a positive one. So what we find is that people who have a high degree of emotional resilience are significantly more likely to succeed than other people. So when we coach leaders, we look at their emotional resilience by looking at how they handle adversity. And what we do is we help them build a stronger mind muscle. We help them build their internal toughness in order to react and respond to future adversities with greater ease, right? So that they don't take it so hard. And if, they, if, if it is something that's very hard, we teach them how to get up faster and take that adversity and turn it into an advantage. What is your reasons for believing that leaders should not seek a work-life balance? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Do you think work-life balance is a good idea? Uh, yeah, I think um, there's a time to work and there's a time to play. That way you can kind of de-stress from the day and do other th things. Right, so a lot of people believe in work-life balance. But have you ever been to a, a playground where there's a teeter-totter or a seesaw? I don't know what you call it over there. And you see two kids on the teeter-totter and they're in perfect balance. Have you ever witnessed that? Yep, I used to do that but, as a kid. what happens exactly when those two kids are in perfect balance? Someone uh, goes to the bottom. No, but that's not balance anymore. What happens right. when they're in perfect balance? What's happening? What's the activity that's taking place? You just got to kind of keep it that way. Keep your weight going the same and try to work with each other to keep it completely balanced. Right. But what's happening? Is there anything happening? Is there nope. up and down? No, there's nothing happening when things are in perfect balance. And so a lot of people think that the, the goal is balance. But I would suggest that balance isn't actually the goal. People get on a seesaw because they like the ups and the downs. They like the bumps when they get to the top and the bottom. They like the ride. And when things are in perfect balance, it's fun for a minute or two. That's it. Then they want to go up and down again, right? And so a life of perfect balance is a life where it's not that much fun. It's not, you know, you're not experiencing that up and down. And what I try to encourage leaders to do is enjoy the ride, enjoy the bumps, and really have moments of balance, but not a lifetime of balance. And so I think that a lot of times when people say, all I want is balance, I challenge them a little bit. And I say, well, let's look at what you really want. What you really want is when you're at work to be fully there, to be fully present, to be productive and to be enjoying what you do. And when you're at home, you want to be fully present and enjoy that ride and be where you are, as opposed to this concept of balance, which really refers to this inactivity, the stillness. And we don't want stillness in our lives, right? We want a life of excitement and passion. That's what I help my clients achieve. Explain the benefits of journaling. Are you a journaler? Uh, not really, but I guess I've learned to be a little bit starting this podcast. <laughs> okay, so so what is journaling? Journaling is the process of writing your thoughts down. It's the idea that you can sit down and take the things that are in your head and put them down on paper or on a computer 
in a way that they are outside of you. So when you have a challenge, when you are not feeling your best, when you're frustrated, when you're annoyed, when you're disappointed, depressed, whatever it is, and you sit down and you have an opportunity to journal, what happens is you take all those thoughts that are inside of you and you put them in a place where you can suddenly see them. They're no longer inside of you. And first of all, that's very, very therapeutic. But the second thing is that when I'm able to see what I think, then I'm able to assess whether or not my thinking is actually supporting the goals I have, the dreams I have, or if my thinking is taking me far away from exactly what I want. And when I'm able to have that clarity of vision, I'm able to change the way I think and change the way I behave. So what does journaling do? Journaling empowers you with clarity and insight. It allows you to see what's inside of you that typically just goes around in circles in your brain. It allows you to take that outside of you and, and make decisions about where you want, where you want to go, and how you want to get there. And whether or not your current belief system and thinking is supporting your goals. So journaling is extremely powerful. You can see if you look at... Uh, several very important figures in history that a lot of extraordinarily successful people have spent time writing down their thoughts in the form of a journal. Absolutely. Why are you not a big fan of empathy? <laughs> Good question. So a lot of people think that empathy is a very, very important character trait for leaders, for parents, but I would suggest that a lot of people don't really understand what empathy is. So let's define empathy for a moment. Empathy is not an intellectual activity. It's not something that you um, do with your brain. It's not understanding someone else. Empathy is an emotional experience where you put yourself in the shoes of someone else and you feel their emotional state you feel what it's like to be in their shoes. So it's an emotional experience. So I don't know if you've ever experienced some, some kind of moment where somebody else is in distress. So like pretend you're walking by a pool and you see someone drowning. How do you think that they feel if they're drowning? What's their emotional state? They're probably gonna be scared and not in such a great emotional state at that time. They're going to be scared, maybe panicked, breathless, uh, you know, really helpless too, right? And so Absolutely. if you feel empathy, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in their shoes and feeling their emotional state. So suddenly you feel breathless, panicked, scared, and helpless. And the moment that you feel those feelings, that's it. You're not in a position to help them. You've disabled yourself because now you're helpless too. And so rather than being strong and seeing them struggling and having compassion and thinking to yourself, hey, I need to help them, but I need to stand solidly on the side of the pool and pull them out. Empathy effectively has you feeling their emotions. It's kind of like you're jumping right in the pool and drowning right beside them. That's not useful. Right? So people don't understand empathy clearly. They think it's a good trait. They think it's a kind trait. And what it does is it 
allows you to see a person struggling and rather than having the strength to help them to a better place, it creates the experience of struggle for you too, which isn't very useful. Absolutely. Does that There's make a, sense? It absolutely does make sense. And now that you say that, I understand your feelings on that subject now. There's a saying that people don't quit jobs, they quit leaders. What do you feel leaders can best do to increase retention? It's a great question. So uh, we coach leaders. That's our sweet spot. Those are the people we coach. And we find that the most effective leaders, they have vision, they have, you know, they have strategy, they're intelligent, they know where they're going, but the most effective leaders have coaching skills. And so here's what's really interesting. I do a lot of speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs, like people who run sizable businesses. And before I go and I speak, I send them out a survey. I ask them a bunch of questions, but there are two questions that are particularly important. The first question I ask is how, how would you evaluate your coaching skills on a scale of one to 10? The second question I ask is how satisfied are you with the productivity of your team? When people feel more equipped with their coaching skills, they're dramatically more satisfied with the performance of their team. It's a direct relationship. It's one-to-one. The more satisfied, the more, the more, the stronger your coaching skills, the more satisfied you are with the performance of your team. So what's the best way to increase performance and increase retention? Learn critical coaching skills. So if any of you who are listening are leaders and you have people in your organization, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for you to learn how to coach your team. It's a game-changing skill set. Speaking of coaching, what are the biggest coaching mistakes that leaders often make? (laughs) So number one is they empathize, right? So that's the mistake number one. Uh, They tend to believe that that's what they should be doing. And they try to put themselves in the position of their uh, employees, their team members. And when that happens, they lack clarity, they lack vision. So that's mistake number one is empathy. Mistake number two is leaders tend to jump to solutions. So when employees are struggling, leaders tend to say, here's what you need to do. And they provide a solution because they're experienced, because they're uh, you know, uh, they, they, they're smart and they can solve problems. They jump to solutions rather than work through problems together. And number three is that leaders tend to make a massive mistake of focusing on behaviors when they're trying to correct their team members or their employees. So they say, here's what I want you to do. And the focus is on behavioral change. And why is that a mistake is because the the greatest barrier to performance is not behavior, it's beliefs. So what I encourage leaders to do is rather than say, here are the things you need to do in terms of changing your behavior, they need to spend some time exploring the beliefs that a person has that is preventing them from performing up to the required levels. So what are your beliefs rather than what are your behaviors? Why? Because behaviors follow beliefs. 
And very often leaders just want to change behaviors. And sometimes it works. But I, my experience is that when we try to change behaviors without addressing beliefs, we get temporary behavioral change. We don't get sustainable behavioral change. And when we want people to change in a sustainable manner, it's very important that we address the thinking that precedes the behavior. So those are the three mistakes. Describe your five coaching steps. Oh, wow. You're asking me all the tricky questions here. (laughs) So the first thing that I recommend is that when you're coaching anybody, when you go into a coaching conversation, especially with someone you know, you typically have a story that you tell about that person based on your past experience, based on your interpretation of who they are and how they show up in the world, you have a story. And so step one is check your story at the door. Don't assume you know what's going on with the person. Don't assume you know what they're doing. Don't assume you know what their intentions are. In fact, assume positive intent, but don't go in with a preconceived notion. You need to put your story aside. So that's step number one. Step number two is that you need to ask for their story, get their story. And so typically when people tell their story, they tell you a very small piece of their story. You might say, what's going on? What happened? What did you do? Tell me um, how the client showed up, whatever, whatever it is. They typically give you a small piece of the story, but, but that's step number two is get the story. Step number three is dig under the story. In other words, get more of the story, get a more well-rounded story. So I don't know if you remember when you were young and maybe you had a friend who went to the mall and he came back and he said, hey, you know what? I saw Mary at the mall and you knew that he had a wild crush on Mary. And so you started asking him questions. Was she alone? Did you ask her out? Did you get her phone number? Are you going to go to the dance together? What did she say? What did you say? And then what happened? You're getting all the juicy details. That's what it's like to dig under the story. You want to get the parts of the story that the person hasn't told you. You want to get the who, what, where, why, how, all of those questions. And so a lot of times when we get the story, people give us just a small component, a small portion of the story. It's very important that we get a full, well-rounded story so we get an accurate picture, what a person's telling us, what they're experiencing, more specifically how they view their experience. Step number four, your job is to identify the beliefs that this person has that's causing them any pain or struggling. Step number five is your job is to challenge their beliefs. So if you, for example, have a belief that is preventing you from reaching your goals, I want to help you trade that belief in for something more useful. And so what I would do is I would challenge your belief by saying, hey, are you sure that's the case? Could it be another way? Have you thought of this? What about this? Could this be another option? And so on. And what I'm doing is I'm pushing back on your view of the world Because that view of the world as it is, is causing you pain and struggle. And I want to ease that up for you by allowing you to consider more options. 
allowing you to see things a little bit differently, allowing you to contemplate a new set of beliefs, that things don't have to be the way they are, that they could be potentially different. You are also an author. Tell us about your writings and where they can be purchased at. Sure. So I wrote a book called What You Focus On Grows. And what that is, is it's a series of short stories that give the reader an opportunity to practice looking at the world through a different lens. So, right, we get stuck when we look at the world through one lens and one lens only. And this book of short stories allows us to look at traditional old things through a new a new way. And it's cute stories. Some of them are about you know, children. Some of them are about things that I've seen in the streets that anyone else could see. Some of them are about famous people. Uh, worth reading because you can read it in chunks. You can open up the book on any page and just start reading. And it's easy. You don't have to read it in order. Um, and people find that this book leaves them with something to think about, leaves them with something to feel good about, and more importantly, leaves them walking down the street or going to work with a new perspective. Where can you buy the book? Uh, go to frameofmindcoaching.com or you can go to Amazon and it's available there. Frame of, so the, again, the book is called What You Focus On Grows. Is there anything else that we have not talked about that you want to touch on? I'm going to ask you a question because you're asking me a lot of the questions. Let me ask you a question. Is there something in your life that you are struggling with? Um, sometimes I struggle with confidence, wondering, can I really get to the status I want? Like, you know, even with this podcast, trying to, uh, you know, uh, build it from the ground up, get the downloads and subscribers built up and, also eventually get some sponsorships, you know, you wonder with all the podcasts out there, how can you really do it? Are you going to be able to keep the content going, get, get enough guests and things like that? Right. So what you're describing is self-doubt, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we all have that at some point in our lives. And sometimes we kind of push through it and we say, okay, well, we'll just keep practicing. And the more we practice, the better we get. And some people feel they, they feel that self-doubt and it paralyzes them. And what, what is self-doubt? It's a story we tell, right? Like that's where it comes from. It's a story that we tell that, that kind of uh, negates what we're really going for. It's a perfect example of how our thinking clashes or contradicts our goals. So what do you want? You want to build a really great podcast. You want it to get to become popular. You want to get a lot of subscribers, but in the back of your brain, you're kind of going, yeah, but can I really do it? There are so many podcasts out there. What's going to make mine different? What's going to make mine stand out? And all that chatter slows you down. All that chatter. Right? And, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. I don't need to teach you how to get subscribers. I need to teach you how to change that chatter. Because that chatter weighs you down, slows you down and holds you back. Does that make sense? Yep, that makes absolutely perfect sense. Could you give out some contact information, some social media information, websites that where people can connect with you because you're a great coach and I'm sure people could benefit from the things that you have said on this podcast and that you absolutely. can teach. 
<clears throat> best way to find me is go to frameofmindcoaching.com. Look at it. I've got a podcast on my own where we invite individuals to get coached live and in person right on the podcast. So they reach out to me. They say, yes, I'm interested in getting coached on your podcast. And we talk right there, live and in person. It's really cool because I never know what kinds of challenges I'm going to get. So I've got to be on my toes on that podcast. It's a lot of fun. It's called the Frame of Mind Coaching Podcast. Um, in addition to that, you can look me up. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And my name is Kim Addis. And the last name is A-D-E-S like Sam. Look me up, hit me up, reach out to me. I'm really responsive. I love hearing from podcast listeners and uh, it would be my pleasure to connect with you. Ladies and gentlemen, Kim Addis. Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's been an honor and a pleasure. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.